Thank you, colleagues. We are now back in session, and we're going to turn to First Minister's questions. And before we take questions, can I ask the First Minister if she would like to update the Parliament on COVID-19? Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. I will give a short update on today's statistics before touching on some other issues. The number of cases reported yesterday was 1,190. Uh, that's 5% of all tests reported. Uh, and the total number of cases is now 101... Uh, 115,566. Uh, there are currently 1,025 people in hospital, that's 20 fewer than yesterday, and 56 people in intensive care, which is four fewer than yesterday. And I very much regret to report that in the past 24 hours, a further 47 deaths were registered of patients who first tested positive in the previous 28 days. The total number of people who have therefore died under that daily measurement is 4,373. National Records of Scotland has also just published its weekly update that includes cases where COVID is a suspected or contributory cause of death, even if it hasn't been confirmed through a test. Today's update shows that by last Sunday, the total number of registered deaths linked to COVID under that wider definition was 6,298. 203 of these deaths were registered last week. That's 23 fewer than in the previous week. And again, I want to convey my deepest condolences to everyone who has been bereaved. Uh, Presiding officer, before I go any further today, I want to take this opportunity to say how sorry I am for my breach of rules that I ask all of us to follow every single day. I took my face mask off while briefly attending a funeral purvey last week. I'm sure everyone will have seen in the media this morning a picture of me without it. I want to be clear today that regardless of the circumstances, I was in the wrong. There are no excuses. These rules do apply to me, just as they do to everyone else, and the rules really matter. Uh, I am kicking myself very hard, possibly harder than my worst critic ever could, uh, but more importantly, I'll be making sure I don't drop my guard again. I have three other points I want to update on very quickly. The first is the situation in relation to cross-channel trade. The news that France has lifted its ban on unaccompanied freight vehicles is welcome, but important challenges remain in clearing the backlog. As part of that, it's important that the transport of perishable goods, including seafood, is prioritised, and the Scottish Government is ready to help in any way we can, including with testing of drivers. Second point is that Public Health Scotland has just published its weekly statistical report, which includes an update on vaccinations. It shows that by Sunday, more than 56,000 people had received their first dose of the vaccine. That's a significant achievement in the short time it has been available. And the third and final point is that we will shortly publish the latest estimate of the R number. We expect that it will show the R number is still around one in Scotland. But that is, of course, a concern, given that it is thought that the new variant of COVID uh, could raise the R number by 0.4. These final two points demonstrate where we are at present. Progress on vaccination gives us grounds for hope, but the overall state of the pandemic is a cause of concern. Our immediate priority has to be get, to get through these next few weeks and months as safely as is possible. Uh, that will be even more difficult than we expected, given that the new variant of COVID does seem to transmit more easily than other strains of the virus. That's why, unfortunately, we are imposing such tough restrictions from Boxing Day onwards. It's also why the safest way for indoor Christmas Day celebrations this year is within your own household and in your own home. Please don't meet other people indoors if you can possibly avoid us. And it is why all of us, however hard it is, uh, need to continue to stick to the current rules and guidelines, and that does include facts. Uh, so with a, an enormous dose of humility, uh, presiding officer, let me remind you, and most importantly today, myself, of facts. Uh, use face coverings. Avoid crowded places. Clean your hands and surfaces regularly. Keep two metres distant from people in other households and self-isolate and get tested if you have symptoms. These actions will work against uh, this new strain of the virus um, and they are how, while the vaccination programme proceeds, we can continue to protect ourselves, our loved ones and our NHS. Uh, let me take the opportunity, presiding officer, to wish you, everyone across the chamber and everyone watching, a healthy and peaceful Christmas and I think we all hope a brighter and better 2021. Thank you very much, First Minister. First Minister, will now take questions. I would encourage all members who wish to ask a question to press their request to speak buttons and I call on Ruth Davis. Thank you, Presiding Officer. From midnight on Saturday, all of Scotland's non-essential businesses will be closed for a minimum of three weeks. Most understand why, but the news is still devastating. 
Today, we spoke to Ryan Hutchins, who runs a small sofa shop in Linwood. Here's what he told us. 90% of my customers are from outside Renfrewshire. I had only two customers in the last three weeks. My business is bleeding money to the point that I'm close to broke and have very little left to survive because of the lockdown. This next three weeks lockdown will cripple me if I don't get help. I have two children, one that lives with me full time. I have £754 in the bank with my rent due on January the 1st and other bills. Ryan can't survive until some unknown date in January without receiving grant support. So what can the First Minister tell him? First Minister. Uh, firstly, I, I want Ryan and everybody else, and there are many of them in Ryan's position, uh, to know how sorry I am uh, for the situation we find ourselves in. If I thought there was another way to do this, I would grasp it in a heartbeat. Nobody wants to be in this position. That's true in Scotland and it's true in uh, the rest of the UK and in much of the rest of the world. Uh, Businesses that are required to close by law in level four areas, of course, uh, are able to apply for strategic framework business uh, fund support. Businesses that are required to close uh, are eligible uh, for a grant of up to £3,000. The grant level is dependent on rateable value. Um, and a grant of uh, £2,100, again, depending on rateable value, is available for businesses that can remain open but are required to modify their operations by law. These grants are provided to eligible businesses for every four weeks of restrictions. Um, but I want to repeat what I said earlier in the week. The Finance Secretary is reviewing what additional support we can make available to businesses because we know that this extra period of disruption and for many extra period of closure uh, will be very, very difficult to bear, even with the funding that is currently in place. And we will continue to do everything we can uh, within, obviously, the confines of the resources that are available to us uh, to help as far as we possibly can. I thank the First Minister for that answer, but I'm not sure it's going to be enough for Ryan. Or indeed the Edinburgh shop owner who writes saying, I've already run the payroll for this month due to the Christmas holidays and who's asking what he's supposed to do now. Or the Borders hairdresser, saying that the new shutdown will be the final nail in the coffin for her salon, who says, I've adhered to all the health and safety measures we were advised to do before we reopened after the last lockdown, but financially, I will struggle to keep afloat this time. Or the chain of women's shop clothes shops, whose boss is desperate to protect the 131 jobs her shops sustain, but is terrified that she won't make it. They and thousands like them have done everything that has been asked of them, but they have no reserves left. How long will it take for the schemes the Scottish Government has announced to open? How long before money actually hits the bank accounts of those businesses teetering on the edge? First Minister. Can I say, um, firstly, again, as I've said, I, I do understand this and it breaks everybody's heart to hear the kinds of experiences that we've just uh, heard recounted to us in the Chamber today. And it doesn't help anybody in that position, I know, for me to say, but it is nevertheless important that I say it, that in doing the really difficult things that we are doing right now to suppress this virus, we are providing a more sustainable recovery uh, for the economy in the medium uh, to long term. If we allow this virus to get out of control, the experience tells us this, the damage to the economy is longer lasting and it is much uh, deeper than it would otherwise be. That does not take away the short-term pain and I am acutely aware of that. Uh, the support that I spoke about uh, in my original answer, uh, those funds are already open for application. They are administered through local authorities. We work with local authorities to get that funding to businesses as quickly as possible. Uh, as members across the chamber know, there are uh, other funding streams that we have announced. Some of them uh, have been in place for a while. Others have been announced more recently recently, but it is exactly because I know that businesses uh, who may have been able to cope on the funding that we have made available thus far will find that much more difficult the longer uh, the disruption of this pandemic goes on, that the Finance Secretary is urgently looking at what more we are able to do to help businesses in that very uh, difficult situation. I've been uh, candid all along that with the best will in the world we will never be able to compensate every individual or every business for every loss that this pandemic has foisted on them but we will do our level best to provide as much support as possible and the government ministers uh, civil servants uh, all of us will be working uh, throughout the Christmas break to make sure that we are doing everything that requires to be done on every aspect of the handling of this pandemic. Ruth Davison. Throughout this crisis, even when this government has promised to help, they've been far too slow at getting support out the door to protect jobs. 
The Fraser of Allender Institute told us that for months, the government sat on around a billion pounds of funding designed to help those struggling. Figures released last week found that in two schemes, the Small Business Grant Scheme and the Retail Hospitality and Leisure Scheme, over 106,000 applications were received. As of December the 8th, only 91,000 had been processed. First Minister, those schemes closed five months ago. 15,000 businesses still waiting five months on and fewer than 500 applications were processed in the period between September and December. So given that record, what confidence can businesses have that schemes announced in this December will actually pay out in January? First Minister. Well, I think it's right and fair uh, for us uh, to be challenged to get this money out as, as quickly as possible. And we are seeking to do that and we will continue to seek to speed up that process as much as possible. Many of these grant funding streams are administered through local authorities. So we are working with local authorities uh, in order to do that. And it's a, it is a, a, an enormous burden on local authorities. And we recognise the hard work that people working for them are doing as well. I, I don't accept that we sit on money. Uh, we have allocated all of the money that we have at our disposal. What, what we have to do in the Scottish Government um, is make sure that we are building in contingencies because uh, every penny of uh, consequential funding is welcome, but we often don't know what that is meant to cover or how long that is meant to last. So we have to look ahead and make sure that we are budgeting to get us through uh, the remainder of the financial year. Uh, but it is really important that we get every penny that we can uh, out to businesses, and that is what we are determined to do for every business across the country as far as we can uh, that is living, just as individuals are, uh, with the horrendous implications of what this virus is doing to us. Ruth Davison. Most small businesses understand the need for these new restrictions. What they don't understand is why they and the jobs that they support are so often treated as an afterthought by this government. As Andrew McRae of the Federation of Small Businesses said, moving to tier four so quickly is a hammer blow to many of his members. We are about to enter what should be the busiest time of year for Scotland's small businesses. Instead, small firms across the country are facing Christmas, not knowing if they can survive till New Year. On the 9th of December, a multi-million pound set of schemes was announced for businesses such as photographers, taxi drivers, the wedding sector, travel agents and tour operators. But people still haven't been told when those schemes will open, how they apply or, crucially, when they can actually expect any money to hit their bank accounts. So can I ask, when will these firms get the support that they need? And what about the help announced on Monday for those affected by the next lockdown? How far into the new year will it be before applications open, never mind the months before they are processed? Ryan Hutchins and thousands of small business owners like him are calling on the First Minister to actually deliver on her promises and to free up the millions of pounds that has already been passed to the Scottish Government. When will she? First Minister. Uh, these Many of these funding streams are open for applications and businesses are applying and have been applying and many businesses have got uh, money. We are announcing new uh, streams of funding as often as we can. Uh, often we do need to put guidance in place to uh, allow local authorities to judge eligibility. Uh, we will continue to work to speed that up as much as possible. It is not the case. And I understand why businesses, I understand why individuals uh, who are living in really extreme circumstances right now possibly think that they are, their circumstances are an afterthought. I want to assure people that is not the case. I will uh, ask the Finance Secretary to update uh, members in, in writing of the different funding streams, what stage they're at, when they opened or when they will open, and what the timescales are for getting money to people. Uh, we have announced uh, quickly at uh, the start of Level 4 from Saturday. If we hadn't uh, decided to impose that quickly, we would face a situation uh, where businesses may end up being closed for longer because of a virus running out of control. We see similar restrictions in place across much of the rest of the UK and indeed much of rest, the rest of Europe. Uh, these are horrendously difficult circumstances. I take the responsibility we've got to try to suppress the virus and to support people as we do that very seriously. And the government will work every single day to make sure that is done as quickly and as effectively as humanly possible. Thank you. Question to Richard Leonard. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. Back in July of this year, the Scottish Human Rights Commission questioned whether what had happened in our care homes was a violation of the human rights of residents of care homes. The right to be free from inhuman and degrading treatment, 
the right to non-discrimination and even a violation of the right to life itself. They said that a public inquiry was needed and that it should be independent, it should determine responsibility, be subject to public scrutiny and it should be prompt. The government agreed. Why six months later are care home residents and their families still waiting? First Minister. Uh, we work every single day with those on the front line, those working so hard in our care homes uh, to keep those residents in the care homes as safe as possible. This continues to be, uh, as it is for businesses, uh, for those in care homes and their families, an incredibly difficult time. We have given uh, a very clear, unambiguous commitment to an independent public inquiry with human rights absolutely at its heart. Uh, we will take forward uh, the uh, implementation plans for a public inquiry as quickly as is feasible. But right now, and it's a point I made yesterday, and it's a really important point right now, uh, particularly in the light of what we are facing with this new strain of the virus. My principal responsibility, the principal responsibility of the Deputy First Minister, the Health Secretary, every single minister in the government is to focus on making sure we are taking the decisions now, learning lessons, uh, changing policy where we can to ensure that we get through this next phase of the pandemic. Uh, I noticed, uh, I think I referred to this yesterday, the, the Chief Executive of Scottish Care, Donald McCaskill, when asked uh, a few weeks about this, himself said that they wanted an inquiry, but realised that we cannot take staff away from the frontline duties of fighting a virus. Uh, if it was uh, to be the case that that happened, it would be, to use his words, a dangerous distraction that would cost lives. There is no doubt about the commitment to public inquiry. I, I believe, I may be wrong now, this events may have overtaken me, but I think we may still be the only government in the UK that has given that clear unambiguous uh, commitment to a public inquiry but we have to focus on saving lives now this virus is not done with us unfortunately it has just learned how to spread itself faster uh, the responsibility I owe to the people of Scotland and my government owe to the people of Scotland is to keep our focus on what we have to do now every single day Richard Leonard Thank you. But it's not just the Scottish Human Rights Commission uh, that is making this call. Uh, just this week, the Equality and Human Rights Commission in Scotland also called for a public inquiry into COVID deaths in Scotland's care homes, and they said it was urgent. They reported, and I quote them, we were told of situations where there were reduced or no visits by GPs and community nurses. Residents were not being transferred to acute settings and people nearing the end of their lives were not receiving adequate palliative care. We know that the Scottish Government guidance until mid-May advised that anyone who was a long-term care home resident should not be admitted to hospital. But why on earth, 10 months into this pandemic, does the First Minister think that the EHRC still finds it necessary to recommend that Scotland's care home residents must have, and I quote them, full and equal access to health care. First Minister. Um, I, I'm sorry, but I, I just don't accept that characterisation of the Scottish Government advice. We, we've had this exchange before. It is not... Uh, Government uh, puts in place policy frameworks in uh, the shape of advice often on these matters, but the issue of whether or not an individual, whether it's an individual in a care home or an individual living in their own home or anywhere else is admitted to hospital or not, is a decision for clinicians. Um, and that is, is right and proper and it should never be for politicians uh, to second guess that. Uh, the guidance uh, makes the point, of course, that often for older people, um, particularly those uh, needing the end of their life, uh, the best place for them to be receiving appropriate care there is in their own homes. And for many older people, a care home is their own home. But if a clinician thinks they should be in hospital, that is exactly where they should be. On the issue of the uh, Equality and Human Rights Commission, I, I don't disagree with what they're saying. I don't disagree with any of the uh, the calls for a public inquiry. This is not, in Scotland, certainly not uh, on the part of the Scottish Government, a question of if there will be a public inquiry. There will be a public inquiry. This is a question of when it is sensible and safe to do that. And my judgment, and people are absolutely uh, entitled to disagree with that judgment, and I, I appreciate that, that some in this chamber do, but my judgment is that my responsibility right now is to focus on the immediate challenge of getting us through the next phase 
of this pandemic. We are perhaps at the most dangerous juncture uh, right now uh, than at any time since February or March. And that's where my focus has got to be. And there will be a full public inquiry, not just into care homes, but into all aspects of the handling of this pandemic. That is right and proper. But right now, the most important thing is to keep steering us through this pandemic as carefully and as safely as we can. Richard Leonard. Well, again, uh, the First Minister says that this is not uh, government advice, it's clinical advice, but the letter issued on the 13th of March was from the Cabinet Secretary for Health and Sport, Jean Freeman. The letter's here, it's, it's got uh, Scottish Government headed note paper. So let me, but let me go back to, let me go back to the situation that is affecting people in, in care homes. Let me describe what daily life has been like in our care homes for the past 10 months. This is what Angela told me. She said both of her parents live in the same care home in Livingston. And she said this, since March, they have been isolated every day on their own, in their small rooms, almost imprisoned for being old. My mother is isolated, her health deteriorating, and she's losing the will to live because there is not enough staff to support the restrictions. For her, COVID has meant that she has lost the right to see her husband and family, to practice her chosen religion, and to leave her home for even a bit of fresh air. First Minister, we understand that this is a highly contagious virus and that we must protect the most vulnerable. But care home residents deserve better than this. In 2020, we have seen a record number of COVID-related deaths in Scotland's care homes. The violation of the human rights of care home residents and families torn apart from their loved ones. So in, in 2021, First Minister, will you work with all parties across this parliament? Will you listen to the Scottish Human Rights Commission and the EHRC? And will you set up the long-awaited public inquiry? And will you also listen to the voices of people like Angela, so that all our older people are finally treated with the dignity and respect that they deserve? First Minister. Before I come on to the really important matters, can I just clear up something uh, from Richard Leonard's uh, question there? I did not say that the guidance was clinical uh, advice rather than Scottish Government advice. I, I questioned his characterisation of what the advice said. It is Scottish Government advice. But what I, the point I was making is that that advice does not countermand the decisions of clinicians if clinicians think an older person should be in hospital. These are important issues, but let's not try and mischaracterise uh, what each other are saying in, in this. On the issues, um, all, all of us understand uh, that possibly there is no group in our society being more affected um, or harder affected by this pandemic than people who live in care homes um, and their families. I had occasion uh, just last week to write for the first time in my uh, experience to somebody I uh, knew personally who had uh, lost their husband in a care home. There are thousands of families across the country uh, who will have had uh, the experience uh, of dealing with this pandemic in a care home setting and, and our hearts break for them quite literally every day. I will not wait to 2021 to listen to people like Angela. I listen to these uh, voices and to these views and opinions literally every single day. I can always find the perfect balance uh, for everybody in this situation because there is no perfect balance. Um, this virus is not fair. It's not fair for people in care homes and it's not fair for anybody else. What we have to do every single day is juggle all of these difficult factors and come to the safest possible uh, outcomes uh, for people. And we will try to do that uh, as, as best and as well as we can every day. And yes, in 2021, I very much hope that we will be seeing the start of a public inquiry, because I hope we will be out uh, of at least the acute face of, this face of this pandemic and we can turn our attentions to that. But I come back to this point. I, I do not do people in care homes or families or anybody else across the country right now, any favours or good at all. If I don't focus 100% with my government um, and with all of the people we have to work with, including the care home sector, on trying to deal with these issues day in and day out. Uh, and that's what we will continue to do. Thank you. Question number three, Patrick Harvey. Thank you, Presiding Officer. We're 
dealing with this extremely dangerous new strain of a deadly virus at the same time as Boris Johnson seems still determined to drive us off the Brexit cliff. The first of these crises is already disrupting the border and the second threatens to do even worse. A UK government source told the Times that there were contingency plans in place for absolutely everything. I honestly doubt if that is even possible, but it's vital that Scotland should be as ready as we can be. Yesterday, the First Minister told Parliament that if the situation is not resolved in the next day or so, we may start to see pressure on some fresh produce after Christmas. Can the First Minister set out what types of fresh produce are the greatest cause for concern when she expects these to be seen either in relation to COVID disruption or Brexit disruption, and what action her government is taking to ensure that those in greatest need, including those on low incomes and those with young families, are not left facing additional hunger or price gouging in the days and weeks ahead? Um, so my responsibility here is to deal with the, the COVID impacts. My, my views on Brexit are very well known and uh, you know, we are getting ever closer to the cliff edge and I still hope we can uh, avert uh, the reality of going off it. We have seen some of the contingency plans that were prepared for Brexit having to be activated in the last couple of days because of the border issues associated with COVID. And you know, people can judge themselves whether uh, the disruption that we've seen in the last couple of days uh, suggests that those contingency plans in the eventuality of a no-deal Brexit would be anywhere near adequate for what we would be dealing with. My view is not, uh, but I'll leave others to, to deal with that. On the issues of food supplies, I, don't, I hope we don't have any impact on food supplies. It is positive that we are starting to see freight uh, move again, although it will take some time to get through the backlog of vehicles. Uh, and as I said yesterday, the Scottish Government is uh, considering the ways in which we can help. Uh, there's not very much we can do to help with the backlog that already is already at Dover, but there is perhaps much we can do through testing and other things uh, to stop uh, problems occurring in the, the future. Um, I'll chair a, a meeting of the uh, Government's Resilience Committee this afternoon to take stock of the uh, issues, if there are any, uh, in terms of food supply. People will have read in the papers the kind of uh, fresh produce that might be affected if we don't see uh, this situation alleviate uh, sufficiently uh, quickly enough, and it is, uh, you know, fresh salad, uh, products, citrus fruits, for example, but we hope that can be avoided. And I, if uh, I think it uh, is necessary and appropriate, I will send a, a note round uh, MSPs after the resilience meeting today to update on that. We had an update from Fairshare uh, earlier in the week that said they had no concerns about food for food banks and for those in uh, the most uh, vulnerable circumstances. But again, that is something that we'll be monitoring very closely in the days ahead. Patrick Harvey. I certainly don't suggest that the Scottish Government has caused either COVID or Brexit, but the, the Scottish Government does have a responsibility to ensure the well-being of those who are affected. Uh, and the threat of food price hikes, if we see that in the new year, would come in the wake of the impact that COVID itself has had on inequality and well-being. The, the Scottish Government's own report on this confirms what I think most of us already knew, that the pandemic is disproportionately impacting on people in poverty, on low-paid workers, children and young people, women, older people, disabled people, and minority ethnic groups. Around a quarter of adults are concerned about providing for their family, and one in five households with dependent children say they are already in serious financial difficulty. And this is the stark reality as we head into Christmas, and the situation is set to worsen in 2021 if we have to start that year with a prolonged lockdown. So what more will the First Minister and the Scottish Government do to support low-income households over this period and to support organisations working to tackle food poverty? And does the First Minister agree that Scottish tax policy must actively reverse the growing level of inequality ensuring that those who have profited immensely in 2020, like the supermarkets and online retailers, pay their fair share. First Minister. Um, firstly, I wasn't suggesting that Patrick Harvey was trying to blame the Scottish Government, and I certainly wasn't suggesting that we didn't have uh, a big responsibility to deal with the impact, absolutely, of COVID and, and yes, of, of Brexit as well, even although that's not 
of our making. Um, we uh, will continue to update the Chamber over the recess period on uh, any implications of uh, what we're seeing at the borders just now and of COVID and Brexit more generally. Uh, we are already doing a significant amount to try to help people in the most vulnerable situations. Uh, as uh, members should be aware, we announced uh, very recently a £100 million winter support package, which has uh, measures in it, for example, extra money direct to families uh, who's, who have children in receipt of free school meals. Uh, that also involved extra funding for organisations working with the most vulnerable, including uh, funding for food poverty, and we will keep under review uh, the ability we have and the requirement there is uh, to provide more support. In terms of tax policy, in principle, I, I always agree that uh, we should have progressive tax policies uh, where uh, those who can bear the biggest burden uh, do, and we do as much as possible to help those uh, who need it most. Obviously, the Scottish Government's uh, tax powers are limited in that respect. In terms of Brexit, we have seen rightly uh, some of the supermarkets uh, repay the business uh, rate support they got um, and that has been extra money coming back in uh, to the Scottish Government's coffers. So we will continue to support that progressive approach to taxation as we uh, look ahead, uh, as hopefully we'll be able to in 2021, to the COVID recovery. Thank you very much. Question four, Willie Rennie. Uh, I want to thank everyone uh, for their work over the last year, particularly the key workers, the nurses, the doctors, the train and the bus drivers, the teachers, the supermarket workers, the cleaners and more. I've even thanked the First Minister from time to time. But today I also want to thank the amazing staff in this Parliament who have worked so hard to adapt and to keep our democratic process running through this crisis. But, President Officer, we've had a glimpse in the last 48 hours at Dover of what happens when you break an economic partnership. Yet the First Minister wants to repeat the same mistakes by this time next year with her referendum. I know that Christmas is a time for sequels, but we have now seen what Brexit 1 is like. Yet the First Minister still wants Brexit 2, the breakup of another economic union. Why does the First Minister want another breakup by next Christmas? First Minister. Um, firstly, on a note of Christmas cheer, which I'm going to try to maintain for as long as I can uh, today, President Officer, can I echo Willie Rennie, at least on the point uh, of thanking uh, many, many people, uh, but thanking the staff in this Parliament who've done a fantastic job in difficult circumstances, and we are all deeply grateful to them. Uh, they don't always get thanked, uh, but can I also thank uh, the civil servants who work uh, and support the government, who've also done a fantastic job in very difficult circumstances. Um, of course, what I would say to Willie Rennie is this. The only reason right now we are faced with the prospect of a no-deal Brexit in Scotland is because we are not independent, and it has been foisted upon us against our will. Independence is not the same as Brexit. Independence would see Scotland joining other independent countries in the European Union, working together where we need to, including on matters like COVID and charting our own future. Um, and that uh, prospect of charting our own future, uh, being responsible, yes, at times for our own mistakes, uh, but building our own success and prosperity instead, in, instead of having our future foisted upon us by the likes of Boris Johnson and his band of Brexiteers. It's that positive prospect of being in charge of our own future presiding officer that sees now a sustained majority of the Scottish population supporting Scotland becoming a normal, equal, independent country. Really ready? But at, but at the weekend, the First Minister said, said it would be unconscionable to carry on with Brexit in the middle of a global pandemic, oblivious to the irony that she plans to hold an independence referendum in the middle of a global pandemic. I want the crisis to stop. Her plans would add to it. I think we should put the recovery first. The young people who need work, the businesses who are on their knees, the climate which is in a state of emergency, the people waiting ages for mental health treatment and the pupils who deserve a better education. We need to put them first. Now, I know the First Minister has supported independence all of her political life, but holding an independence referendum now, in the midst of one of the worst health and economic crisis this country has ever seen, 
is not the right thing to do. Surely she can see that. First Minister. Actually, I've worked out what Willie Rennie is up to today. He's realised that people are really missing pantomimes, so he's decided to provide one all of his own. It's, it's actually a public service. Um, where, where to start? Firstly, let, let us not lose the, the irony of the situation, because actually the Liberal Democrats are now a pro-Brexit party. They've actually given up on their opposition to Brexit. Uh, I still think Brexit is a mistake. Secondly, um, and I'm sure it hasn't escaped Willie Rennie's notice, I'm not planning an independence referendum right now. Um, in fact, I put planning for an independence referendum on hold when the global pandemic struck. If only Boris Johnson had put planning for Brexit on hold when the global pandemic struck. I'm not planning to have a referendum while we're in the midst of a global pandemic because my focus is on leading the country through the pandemic. But you know what? As we start to recover from this pandemic, as all of us across the world start to ask ourselves, what kind of countries, what kind of societies do we want to live in? I want the people of Scotland to be in charge of answering that question, not the likes of Boris Johnson. That's why becoming an independent country is so essential to making sure we build the Scotland we know is possible as we come out of this COVID crisis. Question number five, Gillian Martin. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government is doing to tackle loneliness and isolation over the festive period. First Minister. Uh, well, all of us are acutely aware of the isolation and loneliness that this pandemic has caused. Um, as part of the winter support package that I've just been uh, talking about in response to Patrick Harvey, uh, we provided uh, nearly £6 million to tackle isolation and loneliness. That included more than £4 million for our Connecting Scotland programme to improve digital inclusion for older people um, and money to partners such as Age Scotland who are tackling loneliness through their expanded helplines. Uh, £15 million of the winter funding is also available to community and third sector organisations to support their work. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to encourage everyone to safely check in on those in their neighbourhoods and communities who they believe might be in need of a kind word or kind deed this Christmas. Uh, and I also want to take uh, this opportunity to thank everyone uh, who has been working to provide connection and comfort to those around them over the course of the last very difficult months. Gillian Martin. Thank the First Minister for that answer. Earlier this week, I launched a campaign asking school-aged Scots and their families to help by completing five acts of kindness over Christmas. And I know the Scouts in North East Scotland are already doing this, and I'm hugely grateful to them for everything they're doing to make a difference. Acts of kindness could be from popping a note to the letterbox of a neighbour who lives alone to donating to a local food bank. Will the First Minister back my campaign and join me in asking those who are able to look out for others in our communities during what will be an especially tough Christmas for many Scots? First uh, yes, I uh, will certainly do that. Um, I think it deeply saddens all of us that this is not going to be a normal Christmas. And I know the change in restrictions has been a particularly bitter pill for many people to swallow. Uh, so this will be a festive season like uh, no other that any of us have experienced before. But so much compassion and kindness has been evident across all communities this year. And I Certainly, as I know, everybody will take comfort in the knowledge that there will be so many people, uh, such as uh, those uh, that uh, the member has uh, just talked about there, who will be doing so much to help make Christmas a bit better uh, for someone else. Um, I welcome anything uh, that encourages others to carry out acts of kindness, large or small, and I'm very happy to support Gillian Martin's campaign. Thank you. Question six, Rachel Hamilton. To ask the First Minister what reassurances the Scottish Government can give to communities in the borders regarding exemptions to travel restrictions between Scotland and the rest of the UK. First Minister. Uh, well, of course, communities in the borders have very close social and economic connections with the rest of the UK, um, and they are really important. Uh, the regulations that prohibit travel uh, without a reasonable excuse between Scotland and other parts of the UK are necessary and essential at this time, unfortunately, but they do include a range of exemptions uh, for which uh, travel is permitted. These include, but are not limited to, travel for uh, work or voluntary or, or charitable services that are essential, travelling to school or university for essential shopping, for healthcare uh, or for childcare or parental support services. Uh, these are, exemptions are set out in full within our guidance on 
the website, but for everyone's safety, we do encourage people to keep such travel to an absolute minimum uh, at this period. Rachel Hamilton. Rachel Hamilton. I thank the First Minister for that answer. For many people in communities uh, along the border, such as Paxton, Chernside and Lamberton, Berwick-upon-Tweed is their nearest town for essential shopping and medical appointments. Police Scotland have said they will double their efforts along the border. Combine this with the current coverage in the media, many of my constituents are scared to venture out for essential purposes if it takes place a few miles away in England. First Minister, I am concerned that elderly people will go without food, essential supplies and medical care because they are fearful of breaking guidance. Can the First Minister give me and my constituencies assurances that police are aware of the special circumstances that borderers find themselves in? And will she consider asking the Scottish Government to issue borders specific advice as well as for areas such as Dumfries and Galloway so that my constituents and others know they can carry out essential daily tasks without fear or hindrance? First Minister. Uh, the guidance and indeed the laws that are in place right now have been written with uh, the particular circumstances of the borders already in mind. That's why I don't think it is uh, necessary to have specific guidance. Um, for example, the uh, example that the member used of, of shopping, uh, where essential shopping is required over the border, essential shopping that cannot be done in your own local area is one of the specific exemptions in the law. And I do think it is responsible for all of us to point these things out to people. Nobody uh, should be uh, fearful of travelling for an essential purpose. All of us should be fearful, not because of the police, but because of this virus for travelling when we don't have to travel because it, it poses risks to our health. But people should not be fearful for travelling for essential purposes. And anybody who has listened, uh, as I'm sure many of us uh, have uh, already, to, to the Chief Constable set out how uh, the police will uh, go about enforcement uh, of these regulations will take some assurance and comfort from that. And I have confidence um, in how the police will do that with the travel regulations over the Christmas period and, if necessary, beyond. Thank you. Question seven, Mark Griffin. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister how the Scottish Government's new clinical guidelines and definition will support people with lung COVID. First Minister. Uh, the new clinical sign guidance provides helpful advice on how to care for people who have symptoms during or after getting COVID. Uh, this guidance, of course, will evolve as evidence on long COVID continues to emerge. Uh, the guideline will support GPs and clinicians in identifying ongoing symptoms and provide a definition of best practice, investigation and treatment options to support people who are living with long COVID. It's crucial that decisions about treatment are based on the latest available evidence and are aligned to clinical guidance. The guidance work and our deepening understanding of the symptoms and impact of long COVID will help us continue to tailor diagnosis and the treatment for each individual patient's need. Mark Griffin. Thank the First Minister for her answer. I've spoken to a retail worker who contracted COVID-19 and was in a coma for weeks, who now has to walk with a stick and is in immense pain. And a social care worker who also now uses a walking stick never recovered her sense of taste and smell and is referred to a respiratory clinic. Both are women, both contracted COVID-19 at work. I firmly believe COVID-19 and long COVID are industrial diseases that remain unclassified, especially since Public Health Scotland have stated healthcare workers are three times more likely to be hospitalised with it. Industrial injuries benefit does nothing for those who catch COVID-19 at work. So can the First Minister say to those key workers still suffering how the newly devolved employment injuries assistance Will support key workers with long COVID, particularly since they are in female-dominated workplaces, which have been largely ignored by the current industrial injuries scheme. First Minister. Uh, that's an important point. Um, I'm not able to answer that in detail right now. I will undertake to uh, take that away and look specifically within uh, the devolved benefits that we're now responsible for, uh, whether and to what extent uh, we should and could be looking at providing support for those uh, who may live with long COVID for uh, some time. Uh, so it's a very legitimate point to raise uh, amongst the other work we are doing on trying to understand and respond to the challenges of long COVID. I undertake today that we will consider that uh, and come back to uh, Mark Griffin and and Parliament more generally in due course. Thank you. 
We'll turn now to supplementary questions. Claire Adamson to be followed by Liz Smith. Claire Adamson. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. First Minister, the winter period often brings pressures on a health service that are well understood and that we're used to, but these can only have been compounded this year by the COVID outbreak. Can the First Minister update the Chamber and my constituents on the best way that they can protect our health service and the best ways to access urgent medical care over the festive period? First Minister. Um, obviously, all health boards, and uh, this applies to NHS Lanarkshire, of course, uh, that covers uh, the members' constituency, are under serious pressure right now, and we continue to support uh, health boards as much as possible. The Health Secretary uh, launched a redesign of urgent care programme uh, recently, uh, which aims to ensure that people are seen safely uh, during winter and can access the right care in the right place at the right time. Um, we've increased uh, funding for the health and care sector to help them deal uh, with COVID, um, and I would encourage everybody uh, to uh, do all of the things that all of us, all of us uh, need to do to suppress this virus, but also through uh, the usual channels, NHS uh, 24, um, and uh, where uh, necessary, and uh, of course only where necessary through accident and emergency, uh, and our ambulance service to continue to use the health service when uh, they need it. The health service is under huge pressure right now, uh, but it remains open uh, for those who need it. Liz Smith, before Neil Findlay. Uh, thank you. Will the First Minister join me in congratulating all those who have been involved in the very hard and successful work in persuading Her Majesty the Queen and the Commissioners that the Stone of Destiny should return to its spiritual home in Perth with all the economic benefits that will bring? First Minister. As, as, this is a sentence I uh, probably in my younger days would never have uh, predicted uttering. As one of the Commissioners of the Regalia, um, I am... I am very pleased uh, that we were able to announce today with uh, uh, the consent of Her Majesty the Queen uh, the relocation of the Stone of Destiny to, and I would agree with uh, this terminology, spiritual home uh, of Perth. I think many of us were delighted uh, many years ago to see the Stone of Destiny return uh, to its rightful home of Scotland, uh, and now it will return in due course and be the centrepiece of uh, the redevelopment of Perth City Hall. So I think it's really good news. Um, I want to thank uh, those in Edinburgh who have safeguarded it so well uh, over uh, the years. Uh, I'm sure everybody will be delighted and delighted uh, to see it. Uh, well, I'm sure the, the Edinburgh members here are, are as delighted as the rest of us are uh, that in, in the next few years, we'll all be able to go to Perth uh, to see the Stone of Destiny. Thank you. Can I call Neil Findlay to be followed by Christine Graham. Neil Findlay. Sorry, Mr. Findlay. Mr. Findlay, your, your microphone's muted. We'll just try one more time in the mic. You have to come back. Try one more time. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Findlay, what I'll do is I'll go to Christine Graham and I'll come back to you in a few seconds, in a few minutes. Christine Graham. Uh, thank you very much, Presiding Officer. Can I thank the First Minister for making clear that those living in eastern borders travelling, say, to Morrison's in Berwick uh, for groceries can be essential. But can I ask now, given that British Transport Police are responsible for policing the rail network, including the Borders Railway, how will they be liaising with the Scottish Government and Police Scotland in this matter? Well, can I thank Christine Graham, who I think has taken a, a very responsible approach here, standing up for our constituents to make sure that essential uh, purposes are served, but also recognising the public health need uh, to limit travel in the way that we are doing. She's right to point to the role of the British Transport Police. Uh, the Chief Constable, who joined me earlier in the week for uh, one of the daily updates, uh, set out then that Police Scotland are in very close liaison with the British Transport Police, who are taking, and this of course is an operational matter for them on the railways as it is for Police Scotland elsewhere. <coughs> but they are taking the same proportionate and sensitive approach uh, as Police Scotland are, and I'm very grateful to them as well. Thank you. I'm actually going to go to Sarah Boyack first. Well, I think we try and uh, reconnect to Neil Findlay. So Sarah Boyack, followed by Jamie Green. Sarah Boyack. Thank you, Presiding Officer. First Minister, last week we had an excellent briefing from NHS Lothian, but delivering all three waves of the vaccine will take a long time, with six to eight months for a full rollout. And although the first wave is underway, by the end of March, we'll only have seen the over 65s and those with specified conditions vaccinated in phase two. So what does that mean for keeping key workers safe while they still have to take safety precautions and wear PPE? 
And what does it mean for keeping our schools open and keeping all the staff who support our um, school students safe? First Minister. I'm very happy to consider uh, any specific detail that NHS Lothian provided. So I'm, I'm speaking here about uh, the, the general overall programme and our ambitions and uh, determination here, which is the, the biggest and the, the central constraint on our ability to be absolutely definitive about this is supply of the vaccine. It is a massive logistical exercise that health boards are working extremely hard on, but uh, vaccine supplies permitting, uh, our intention is to do the JCVI uh, priority list, which is effectively everybody over at uh, the age of 50, uh, by the spring, uh, if we, we possibly can, and then as we go into the summer, uh, the rest of the population will follow. Uh, that is not an easy undertaking um, and will involve a lot of planning. It does, is involving a lot of planning um, and logistics, uh, but as long as the supplies uh, come in the time frame that we expect, uh, then we are confident that we can uh, achieve that. And as I said earlier on, there are more than 50,000 people uh, in Scotland who have already had uh, their first dose of the vaccine, which is very good progress given the short period of time that we've had supplies available. Jamie Green to be followed by Neil Findlay. Thank you. The First Minister may be aware of warnings by Professor Lindsay Patterson that plans for blended learning may only exacerbate the attainment gap that we're all trying to close. But he's not the only one. Our inboxes are full of parents with genuine concerns about further loss of face-to-face -face teaching. And they're wondering why they're being told that schools are safe in one hand, but being asked to keep their children at home on the other. So can I ask the First Minister if she will finally give serious and sensible consideration to our proposals for a national tutoring programme with the simple aim of helping those young people who are at the greatest risk of falling behind in their education? First Minister. Uh, there is tutoring available uh, through the eSchool uh, initiative and we can make uh, details of that available. I don't want young people to have to have blended learning if we can at all avoid it. We have made a priority of having schools open full time and that has happened in my view safely and successfully uh, up until now. Uh, what has changed in the last week or so of course is this new variant uh, of the virus that we are still trying to understand. We know as I've set out before uh, that it appears to be more transmissible but as I said yesterday one of the things we don't yet fully understand is whether as some scientists think may be the case it is infecting children and young people more easily than previous strains did and I think in those circumstances we have a duty uh, to be precautionary until we've got greater clarity and understanding of that but we want to get schools back full-time um, as quickly as we possibly can we very much hope that will be from the 18th of January but we've been candid with parents that we have to keep that under review in the circumstances and any period uh, where blended learning is necessary whether that is uh, for all schools uh, and I very much hope that will not be the case or on a school by school basis which may sometimes be the case depending on uh, local outbreaks of the virus uh, we will do everything we can to make sure that those not in school for whatever periods of time they're not in school have the support that they need. Thank you. Neil Findlay to be followed by Emma Harper. Um, yesterday care homes were advised that under new level four restrictions only essential outdoor visits can take place and only one visitor is allowed for outdoor visits. That's outdoor visits in Scotland in December. This week, the Equality and Human Rights Commission produced a scathing report about human rights abuses of older people in care homes. So why has the Scottish Government ignored the, ignored the Commission's findings and the publication of the new care home guidance? And shouldn't effective infection uh, control measures facilitate and not prevent safe family contact? First Minister. Uh, yes, they should, and that's what we try to achieve. We're not ignoring uh, the Equality and Human Rights Commission, but we are listening to the clinical advice we're getting it is the chief nursing officer and the chief medical officer who have uh, written uh, this week to care home uh, managers outlining what the level four restrictions that will come into place on Saturday for most of Scotland will mean for care homes. These decisions are not taken lightly, but all I can do is repeat again that we are right now faced with a strain of this virus that appears to be uh, spreading perhaps 70% faster uh, than previous strains. We don't yet know all of the implications of that. We don't yet know why that is the case. And therefore, difficult though this is for everybody affected, and I am under no illusions about that, we must again act on a highly precautionary basis. Um, we talk in here rightly and properly, and the government rightly and properly gets 
uh, very acute scrutiny on this about the numbers of people who've died in our care homes, about the, the conditions that people living in our care homes have had to endure. And all of us uh, feel the burden of that uh, in terms of being decision makers around this very, very heavily indeed. Uh, but that also makes it more important that we are very careful about the decisions we take. I, I very much hope that, you know, I very much hope that we get better news about this new variant that makes us all less concerned than we are right now, or that in a few weeks' time we're more confident in our ability to suppress it and we can quickly get back to where we were of trying to open up care homes uh, to visitors. Uh, but all of what we're doing right now, whether people agree with it, disagree with it, that is understandable and legitimate, is with the intention and the desire of keeping people in care homes as safe as we possibly can. Thank you. Emma Harper to be followed by Ross Greer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government is doing to support people with dementia and their carers during this pandemic. First Minister. Uh, the Dementia and COVID uh, National Plan was published yesterday. Uh, COSLA uh, have endorsed that as the result of extensive engagement with stakeholders, and that includes people with dementia and their carers. Uh, Pre-COVID uh, estimated annual spend uh, on dementia by health and social care partnerships uh, had already increased uh, quite significantly, but the plan sets out work with COSLA, health and care partnerships and Alzheimer's Scotland to review and assess the provision and the design of post-diagnostic services and identify best practice and also to look at the barriers that exist to further expansion of uh, the services. Also details work we've undertaken to ensure all carers have access to short breaks that are suitable for those who are self-isolating and physical distancing uh, through the £3 million Voluntary Sector Short Breaks Fund. Uh, unpaid carers of loved ones with dementia also get uh, more support uh, with new funding for counselling through Alzheimer's Scotland. Thank you. Ross Greer to be followed by Fulton McGregor. Thank you. My constituents in Balloch were frankly gutted to discover yesterday that the Scottish Government's Enterprise Agency has extended the exclusivity agreement given to Flamingo Land for the development of a private resort on what's currently publicly owned land at Loch Lomond. Our community campaign against Flamingo Land's unsuccessful first proposal lodged over 60,000 objections, making it the most unpopular application in Scottish planning history. Now we face months and likely years more of a saga which should have ended this year. Can I ask the First Minister why her enterprise agency is so unwilling to accept that this is the wrong developer, the wrong development would cause unacceptable damage to the local environment and community, and that it is simply utterly unwelcome within our world-famous national park? First Minister. Um, as I understand it, th these decisions are not really for uh, Scottish Enterprise. Scottish Enterprise will only sell the land uh, at West Riverside to Flamingo land if a new planning application is consented. Uh, Loch Lomond and the Trossachs National Park Authority is the planning authority and it will be them that considers any new uh, planning application that is submitted to them. And as I understand it, a new proposal has not uh, been lodged with the National Park Authority. It's really important that these uh, processes are robust. It's probably important that I don't express views on them um, I, at this stage uh, either. Um, I fully understand, having been involved in uh, not dissimilar uh, issues in my own constituency in, in past years, uh, quite a few years ago now, I absolutely understand uh, the, the concerns of the public um, around some of these issues, but I think it's important that these uh, processes are followed and uh, will be followed appropriately. Thank you. Fulton McGregor to be followed by Maurice Corey. Yeah, thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister what measures are in place to ensure that our nursery-aged children can continue to enjoy learning and having fun outdoors in the winter months in light of the current pandemic. And, President Officer, can I take this cheeky opportunity to pay tribute to the absolutely fantastic and amazing Gaelic nursery at Tolbury Primary in North Lanarkshire, which serves kids across the council area and that my own youngest son attends and wish them and all early years workers a Merry Christmas. First Minister. Um, I, I would join with Philip McGregor in, in wishing uh, his son's Gaelic nursery um, a very happy Christmas and thanking them for all they do. Uh, given that I've met him a few times before, let me take the opportunity to wish his son a very happy Christmas. In fact, both of his sons a very happy Christmas. I've been challenged in the chamber to do it in Gaelic, but I think that would be uh, a challenge too far for me to even begin uh, to accept. I'll get Kate Forbes to give me some lessons uh, later, later on. Um, the, uh, Fulton McGregor raises an important point. Uh, playing, learning, having fun outdoors is really important uh, for everybody's uh, mental and physical health, but particularly for that 
of children. Uh, and even with this new virus being uh, perhaps 70% more transmissible, uh, we still believe that the virus is less transmissible outdoors than it is indoors. And that's an important principle for all of us to bear in mind. Uh, so guidance for childcare settings advises them to maximise time spent outdoors. We uh, announced a winter outdoor clothing fund to ensure that more children are able to spend time outdoors as part of their funded nursery experience uh, and that should help reduce inequalities for children uh, who perhaps uh, whose parents perhaps can't uh, buy uh, suitable winter clothing just uh, because we're in a pandemic. We also fund the virtual nature school which provides training and support to early learning and childcare practitioners. Uh, more than a thousand practitioners and 40,000 families have benefited from this programme and I know that a further 500 teams will take part in the winter programme to support the delivery of high quality all-weather outdoor experiences. And Maurice Corey. Presiding officer, I have some good news for you. Yesterday, a new mental health support service was officially launched at the Vale of Leven Hospital in my West Scotland region as a result of my working with Defence Medical Welfare Services and NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde, demonstrating the effectiveness of the Armed Forces Community Covenant in our area. This will make the Vale of Leven Hospital a rising centre of excellence in this mental health support work, with several patients and the hospital staff benefiting already and immensely. Will the First Minister join me in congratulating Bob Reid, Scottish Director of Defence Medical Welfare Services, Margaret O'Rourke, of the, of the Operations Manager of the Vale of Hospital, and NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde in launching this excellent new service at the Vale of Hospital at a time when we need mental health support more than ever? First Minister. Yes, I'm, I'm delighted uh, to uh, wholeheartedly agree with that and thank all of those involved in the new service at the Vale of Leven Hospital. I'm sure it will be a, a shining example of, of this type of service. Can I take the opportunity, presiding officer, though we've had uh, different groups of people thanked today, can I take the opportunity to thank our armed forces uh, and everybody who uh, serves, many of them uh, are used to experiencing what those of us will be perhaps experiencing for the first time this year, spending Christmas away from our families. I recorded a happy Christmas Christmas message to them uh, yesterday evening but let me uh, do it here today I'm sure on behalf of all of us we owe them an enormous debt of gratitude and wherever they are right now we wish them and their families a very happy Christmas and if this, this is my last answer just let me end by wishing you the chamber and everybody across Scotland at this very difficult Christmas uh, the happiest one possible. Thank you very much First Minister and that concludes First Minister's questions. I'm going to move on shortly to straight into portfolio questions, but just be a short pause while we change seats.